And welcome back to another episode of Ladies First. I am Corey, joined by Elizabeth. Hello. And I'm actually back this time. Uh, last time I was sounding like a swamp pag again. So Lisa was very <laughs> kind and uh, stepped in to fill my shoes. So belated thanks to Lisa. I appreciate it. And thank yes. you for bailing my butt out. <laughs> yes. Um. This week, we're actually, week, I should say month. This is October. Uh, we decided to do a two-parter this month uh, because it's both LGBTQ History Month and it's also AIDS Awareness Month, and that really coincides with our history. So we're going to be a little bit more serious for both of these episodes, and we're really going to be focusing on our history and kind of where it's led us up to now and uh, kind of getting into some of those events. So just be forewarned, some of this is going to be pretty damn heavy. And if that might be triggering for you, then let this be your warning now. Yes. But also that we feel that this is very important to talk about. Yes. As we are the first generation after the AIDS generation and that we have a unique opportunity to record history as it's happening according to our standards and that's sort of a rare thing when it comes to a civil rights movement so at least I feel that this is our personal responsibility as queer women to pass on the knowledge that we have about the movement up until this point because I feel like this is things that most people need to know and we have the opportunity to shape that narrative instead of having to constantly correct for what we were taught in school versus what actually happened yeah it's a matter of um making sure that that history isn't lost yes is what we're trying to do and to some extent especially because of the aids epidemic it can feel like we lost an entire generation in there with their stories so we really want to take some time and go back and remember that and yes. also i mean just ourselves we're living in a very pivotal time um you know the un just took a freaking vote on if the world should be allowed to put lgbtq people to death and the walnut trump sent to that meeting voted that yeah they should be. They voted against banning it. So it's our responsibility as queer members of the community, or I should say as members of the queer community, to, like Elizabeth said, share this information and learn about the things that came before us. Because, you know, there's that saying, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. And also, you know, it's we want to honor the legacy of... You know, the individuals who fought for our rights that we have now. And the best way Elizabeth and I feel to do that is by remembering them. Yes, and remembering what they did. Right. So, um, Elizabeth is very well-versed in um, queer history, especially, uh, you know, because we are a media site, we did try to bring some of that context in. But especially with, um, I think there's a book that says Gay L.A., yeah, the book is literally called Gay L.A. 
Uh, so it's called Gay LA, A History of Sexual Outlaws, Power Politics, and Lipstick Lesbians. It was written by Lillian Federman and Stuart Timmons. It's an excellent book. It is at the top of my recommended reading list for any baby queer. And we'll have a link, uh, a little section of links at the bottom of this article for you to go and peruse. Yes. And also I can say that um, as this is considered a, a seminal text, sort of, um, I guess, like a textbook type text... Uh, it it is it was available for reference from my university. Um, I do actually own a copy of the book, but uh, this was available on on reference. For, or, you know, like universities have like the the works for reference. Um, when I was in college, this book was available, and so if you have a community college or a university nearby, you can find this book. Um, it's worth reading. But that's uh, the reason why it's on reserve is because it is sort of this nice definitive history of queer people in California. And really, California history is queer history. Um, like, pretend I am the layman person approaching <laughs> this. Um, you know, we Elizabeth and I both have our different areas of expertise as far as queer culture goes. But Elizabeth, you know, I grew up in the frickin' Midwest. This, yes. you know, California, Elizabeth is born and bred. So I'm going to kind of let her take this over just because, <laughs> um, you know, if you asked me, I'd be talking about New York and shit that went on with, you know, like cow tipping and whatever. So I'm going to let her well, take the wheel. Well, New York was important, but we'll get to New York. Um, so... If we're going to talk about the history of the queer rights movement, you can't start without talking about vaudeville. Now, vaudeville is an old... It's kind of an old-timey term for uh, old Hollywood. It was before sort of the era of moving pictures, before the era of film, really. Uh, it was more about things like... Like sideshows. Honestly, the uh, Barnum and Bailey's is closer to vaudeville than what we think of as the... The modern film industry but the area around los angeles and hollywood was built up around vaudeville around these sort of um early inklings of hollywood and what hollywood would eventually become and these little communities have always been sort of a safe space for queer people and not just queer in the sense that we are queer but queer in sort of more the literal sense of people who are a bit odd and you can be queer and queer. I mean, there is yes. no limi- there is no limitation to odd. <laughs> yes, no, there's lo- there's no limitation to odd, but also often that uh, that queer people tend to think a bit outside the box, or that we tend to not see the world the way most people see it, and mm-hmm. so we are seen as novel. And uh, this was quite a boon for the early you know early vaudeville and then the the early Hollywood industry um, because in we're fact, queer squared. Yes. I'm not going to let that go. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Queer squared. Yeah, we're, we're big fucking dorks. I am a big fucking dork. Which is why I care so much about this. Uh, but yeah, so it's the, the early um, the early history of, of queers, really, in the public eye was the early history of vaudeville, of theater, of musical theater, of both Hollywood and say in New York, the Broadway tradition, but really the two things kind of go hand in hand. That uh, 
that the creative arts have always been and always will be a haven for people who are, air quotes, slightly odd. They're a little bit different. Yes, I, I tried to sing, you're a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll, but I was like, this makes no sense. Yeah, well, also, it's, oh, God. Is it what? the Osmonds? I'm trying. <laughs> Cut me some slack here. Yes, no, and I understand this is, like, a little bit out of your, your area of expertise. But, so, um, moving on from from vaudeville, even, like, if you know anything about, like, musical theater, you know that musical theater has always been very big on, um, sort of the civil rights movements, um, that most people who were involved in it just happened to have a foot in some other civil rights movement, and that was something that really continued into Hollywood through even, like, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and straight up through the McCarthy era. But sort of the fun thing about Hollywood in especially the 40s and the 50s during World War II and sort of um, what led up the the McCarthy scare that led up after that was um, that Hollywood was very determined to protect its own. So something that like we really don't we really didn't know about it wasn't really common knowledge until well the books started getting published about it but a lot of things like um you know, like these uh, these decency clauses that you used to have where you'd have uh, these old actors and actresses who were, in most cases for these things, bisexual. And um, these decency clauses were things where you had to sign them and say that I will publicly make sure that I see you as straight as possible. And that's essentially what they boil down to. And that was what Hollywood was like through honestly like the 30s straight through probably the 60s and the 70s is that in a lot of cases that you'd have uh queer people who were involved in hollywood but you were under no circumstances allowed to talk about it it's just that as long as you are part of air quotes the in group we will protect you now isn't that how like what we understand now is bearding that's how that kind of really took off Mm -hmm. yes yes very much so um so i even i like god this is like going way back but like back in december we did um we had that nice little tribute episode we had to carrie fisher and debbie reynolds um but that was <laughs> sort of their jam like it's i don't mean to say it jokingly because this actually was a very serious thing but um especially like with debbie reynolds is that a lot of these leading ladies um were often put in this position or some of them were bisexual, some of them weren't, but often they were put in these positions where you had these leading men who were bisexual or gay, and they would be put into these air quotes relationships of convenience because then, you know, Hollywood gets to have its cake and eat it too, where it gets to have these leading men and leading women who are clearly bi and clearly appealing to both men and women, but they never actually have to acknowledge the reality of why that is. Instead, they can just pretend like, oh, look, Brock Hudson is on vacation with his <clears throat> girlfriend. Um, <laughs> Aldous Huxley was totally a heterosexual. We absolutely are certain of this. Yes. Nothing gay about that. Now, but didn't they also have, like, they had their own little get-togethers where they could kind of, like, be themselves, like secret parties or something? Oh, yes, of course. No, there's the, the sort of black tie events, but they had these um, these very highly... Se- I it's apologize so funny to say- for the ice cream truck in the background. 
No, I'm laughing at the ice cream truck, but also I'm laughing at uh, just, like, how ridiculous some of this seems. Like, they have, like, these black tie parties where people who uh, people who were famous in the industry would go to these parties, and they'd go to the party with the beard. But the second that they were behind closed doors, they're just like, oh, we all see it. It's like that, you know, like that, um, that party in the L Word in the first season. Oh, yeah, you're straight until you get through the doors, and then you can do whatever you want, essentially. Exactly, yeah. It's sort of the reverse of that. Or even just, like, like there's that moment where, like, Dana's doubles partner, he, like, doubles over on her, or, like, falls over on her because he's exhausted. And she's like, oh, Harrison, we can go back to being gay. But it's, like, <laughs> the opposite of that was what these black what these uh, black type parties were, is you could be yourself, but, you know, no one was ever allowed to talk about it outside of this context because your career would be over if you did right so that's where the bearding came in because that way you could you know hide in plain sight and as far as you were meeting that criteria then the industry would protect you yes exactly and so and the industry did protect them it protected people very like very fever uh feverishly honestly like because if you think about like a lot of the old like you know the old stars you know, like your rock hudson's and um oh god I feel like I'm not straight enough to have this conversation. Marlon Brando? Okay. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, the point is... Well, maybe not Marlon Brando. But the point is is that, like, you'd have these, like, very, very straight leading men. And then you have these air quotes... Like, well, yes, air quotes. Very, um, very straight leading men. And then air quotes, very straight leading women. And they were put together on purpose by the studios to form, air quotes, the power couples. Mm-hmm. Rock Hudson, especially, like, for his time, like, he was in stuff like Pillow Talk, and for his time, <laughs> he was one of, like, the manly, manly leading men. Like, every woman wanted to be with him. Every guy wanted to be him. Um, and nobody... You know, that was even actually... Nobody had a clue outside of the Hollywood circle. Yeah, and that's actually even funny on its own because for a while within Hollywood, they actually recruited leading actresses in this way that they would look for actresses who had, um, well, the way they phrased it is universal appeal. But what they really meant was we want bi women or queer women in the audience to also find this woman as attractive as we do. But you can't say that. But that was something that was part of the methodology in casting and methodology in recruiting for Hollywood is that they often did explicitly sort of seek out these men and women who are bisexual and this, and also that they are the kind of people who would have this appeal, that they would appeal to both men and women, but you couldn't talk about that because that was cliche. That but that was what they like were casting for. straight up queer baiting on some sense. <laughs> it is. It is literally queer baiting, but you know... We're talking of, you know, in this, well, in this particular context, we're still talking about, like, the 1940s and 50s. Like, queer baiting was all you had. The original recipe, queer baiting. But they kept you safe. Which, I mean, at that time, it was, you know, it was still very dangerous. Um, You know, you could still be committed. Yeah. Uh, You know, if your, I mean, your family or loved ones could still have you committed. When we so, say committed, we mean committed to a mental asylum. Yes, yes. Um, so, I mean, it's not like today where you have 
openly gay actors and actresses who can be out. Or even that kind of, like, open speculation where... I, I don't like to talk about glass closets because, you know, if somebody's not out, then that's their business. But mm-hmm. there is an, an, a total industry for the glass closet speculation. And, you know, you would never have that in the 1940s because that could literally get somebody killed. Yeah. Even the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Yeah, and especially with the 50s and 60s, because then you had, you know, the McCarthy era. Right. Because that, that was the other factor, is that a lot of people who were queer in Hollywood also had socialist leanings, because, you know, <laughs> we tend to. Um, <laughs> so, but that was a problem, because in the McCarthy era, they were rooting out all communist sympathizers. And to them, communists meant, well, anything that wasn't, like, uh, truth, justice, and the American way the era was rooting out everything that Superman didn't stand for, but that's cool. Basically, it was at the time a modern-day witch hunt. And McCarthy, for a little bit of um, context, I mean, McCarthy went after any high-profile targets he thought he could to build his brand, so to speak. Um, you know, yes. he... Lucille Ball, uh, you know, from I Love Lucy, I remember she was a big target because she had some communist ties. Um... Oh, yeah, and she was famous for going toe-to-toe. Yeah, I I mean, it was... They would go after anybody. So if you were queer and had communist leanings, then you needed something huge like the Hollywood machine to try and back you. Because McCarthy was a... I'm sorry, he was a raging asshole, and he didn't care who he stepped on. Yeah, and even, like, you know, know, like, one of my personal personal heroes, um, Upton Sinclair... Of the jungle fame. By the way, that's not the only thing that he did that was great, was write that book, honestly, like, look into his career as a politician, because he was awesome. But, like, yeah, that's, it's the anti-socialist leadings. It's funny, though, because you see, like, such parallels to this in, like, our current um, queer debate. Yeah, that is probably for another podcast, though. Yeah, but when it was, it's just funny to me that, like, that the socialism thing never really went away. No. <laughs> we all I we all tend why. to. Yeah, I know, right? We tend to have these sort of socialist politics. Um, but yeah, so, like, with the, like, McCarthy, like, like, obviously, we didn't live through it. We're not old enough. But my parents did. And even my parents, despite being, you know, like, rich old white people, even they when they talk about this time, talk about it with sort of a reverence and a fear. That it was a scary time to be alive. Which is, you know, funny, because rich white people, but, like, you yeah, know, if... The... Aren't, your par- aren't your parents also, like, Russian descent? Right, so my fir- my parents are also first uh, first generation immigrants. I think they had a little bit more reason to be afraid. <laughs> okay, yes, but, like, yes. Yeah, that makes more sense in context, but, like, but the larger point is, is that we were still, like, white people, and, you know, like, the white people were scared of this, then, like, what the hell is everyone else supposed to do, you know? Right. Now, I do want to mention, uh, really quick, and I'm going to just touch on it in this episode, we'll touch more on it in the second, but while this is all going on in Hollywood, um, there were movements also happening in New York City, um, especially out of Harlem, and I think it's been around for five decades now, but uh, ball culture 
began to start mm-hmm. uh, for black and Latino communities, uh, especially. And it was kind of this radical, defiant necessity for a safe space and a place, you know, to be you. And we'll touch more on this in the second episode because there is actually um, a documentary that came out in 1990. And there was also quite a bit more that they had to do with the AIDS movement. But this wasn't just Hollywood for our history. There were other kind of movements and safe spaces going on. Um, I mean, look at New York City. We also had the Stonewall Riot. Yes. So that's the other thing is that, is that um, I know that like a lot of, a lot of the, the literature you'll come across in writing about this is about Hollywood. It's about the Hollywood movement, about um, the beards and the decency, acts of the berry, your gaze, claws and all that. But um, uh, things were happening in other places. California is not the center of the universe. Right. Like, again, the Stonewall Riot, which yeah. was a pretty seminal moment. We're not going to really rehash that because that's probably one of the most famous moments of our history. That if you're going to know anything, this is probably what you know. And Outside you of the know fact that it, that movie, it. yeah, that movie that was made that made it all about a white dude was completely and utterly inaccurate and wrong. And don't take your history from that movie. And the adorable girl from the adorable girl from Matilda just ripped the director a new one on Twitter. That was amazing. Just I know um, I knew I picked a good fave as a child. Yes, <laughs> Mara Wilson. That's her name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was other stuff uh, going on. In fact, um, you know, you've also got other movements going on, like the gay liberation movement, and mm-hmm. well, this that was some... our main movement, right? But there's also that kind of had this comorbidity with us being excluded from other movements because a lot of us especially um queer people of color um you know elizabeth likes to talk a lot about josephine baker (laughs) not on the show but like i took a women's studies class and i literally would not shut up about her Uh. you still don't shut up about her (laughs) not that that's a bad thing we should all know more about josephine baker um, yeah, y'all should know more about Josephine Baker. Josephine Baker is an amazing is an amazing person. Um, but yes, you're right that uh, well, there's Stonewall, but also that um, there's a problem with with civil rights movements, and this has been a problem since they've started. Um, that the problem is is that we can only focus on one issue at a time. And so we have problems where you have someone like Baynard Rustin, who, if you don't know who that is, is uh, he was very pivotal in the civil rights movement. He was a right-hand man of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but the problem was is that he was a homosexual man, and he would get arrested for, air quotes, public indecency. And the problem was is that the movement said, well, that's distracting. You can't be doing that. You can't be... It's distracting from the main point of our movement. And Josephine Baker, who was a bisexual woman, also had this problem that where people were saying, like, well, you know, we're really just here for this one little aspect of who you are, but, like, this other part, like, that can wait. Can we please, like, just table that for, like, ten years? Is that cool? Okay, great. It's essentially you're being left out of your own revolution. Yeah. And so that was... 
I mean, it's still a problem now, honestly. Well, it is. I mean, we have, like, when we had same-sex marriage get passed, um, it was obviously an issue in our own community where we were telling other members, especially uh, trans members of our community, not right now. Let's get this passed. You have to wait. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so much... so much of the fight, so much of the fight was focused on marriage equality, and like really something that I do feel personally because it's something that I fought very hard for. Cause it's something that I wanted, something that I wanted for me, and I understand that that's not the be all end all for everyone. Mm-hmm. But at the time, and when I say at the time, I'm really only talking about like maybe ten or fifteen years ago, which is kind of shocking when you think about it. But at the time, you know. You had someone like me, who was like the, you know, the very feminine presenting, you know, white girl, who was put up as sort of a, the representation for our our uh, our GSA. But the reason why I was chosen is because I was a palatable, blonde-haired, very, very uh, feminine white girl who was from a good family and who could sort of make the case of like, oh, we just want to be just like you. And... It was kind of shitty of us to do that because um, most people are not like us. <laughs> or not like me. The, the problem is some part of you is getting erased. Exactly. Um, if you were a person of color in the civil rights movement, you know, and queer, then your queer identity would often be erased in the retelling. Whereas we see, um, you know, just a few years ago with same-sex marriage, um, if you were a person of color and queer, then sometimes, sadly, a lot of the time, your, um, I guess, ethnicity was like, okay, whatever, let's focus on this. But yeah. we, we have to talk about, you know, it's a very different experience being a white queer person than it is being a queer person of color. Yes. And that's like, I feel like this is very important to me because... Um, Having met people who aren't like me, I'm realizing that my worldview is actually quite narrow. Mm-hmm. The and day you the only stop thinking I... your worldview is narrow is the day you have a problem. Exactly. But it's the only reason I know any of this is because I took classes on it or because I met people who opened up my eyes to it, so to speak. Right. But, but this is why we need to talk about these things. And, like, this is the part of the reason why I have such an issue with the fact that um, queer education is just literally, like, a 30 to 50 year gap of nothing. Well, I mean, and because it wasn't... It we wasn't here. Yeah, and it wasn't just the civil rights movement, too. We also had, like, now, and I mean now as in, like, capital N-O-W. And that is a Gordian knot of radical feminism and lesbophobia <laughs> that I don't even I wouldn't have the first idea how to begin to try and untangle that um well I get part of it uh, but I, I mean, think good I was gonna say I like that um the miniseries I like that they acknowledged the lesbophobia of the movement. You want to tell the class what miniseries we're talking about? Oh, When We Rise, an amazing <laughs> miniseries that ABC did about the gay rights movement. 
just a couple months ago. Um, yes. And I did like that they put that in there. Uh, the women's suffrage movement itself, I mean, they have moments in there of, like, this lavender panic. They didn't want lesbian. They didn't want lesbians, bisexual, anybody that they thought was queer or the yay, they did not want in their movement speaking for them because they thought it took away from the women's movement. Um, Which is so weird because they were so up their own assholes about how much they don't want men to define And it wasn't life. just queer women other. I mean, that it, there was some rampant racism going on, too. Oh, that too, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, let, it, let's make this very clear. It wasn't just homophobia going on at the time and like for women's suffrage it had I mean, if there was a civil rights movement there was probably an undercurrent of something not great going on in there yeah, just, see i feel like i feel like some of you may be in like uh when we're talking about um about now and about women's suffrage and about the certain um the civil rights movement the, like the chicano movement and you're like what does this have to do with gay rights well everything um because we cross over all of these groups and the problem was is that a lot of us were in this position where we'd be part of these larger civil rights movements and then we'd also have this part where we're like, well, what about the gays? And everyone's like, well, wait your turn. <laughs> and and I, I really want to press on that point, though, um, because there were, you have these dual identities. Like we said with Cesar uh, Chavez and the Chicano movement, you know, like there's no queer Latinos. Yeah, Or, exactly. you know, with now in the women's suffrage, like there's no queer women? Hello? Yeah, or like that, uh, what was it, um, was it Gloria Steinem who made that comment about, uh, but Bernie Sanders voters just do it because their boyfriends want them to, and I'm just like, okay, uh, well, um. <laughs> I am not even gonna go near that with a 10-foot pole. Um, yeah, but, the, being, but, like, but like the point being is that, like. You the, are not the... just queer. You exactly. normally have, you know, you're a broad spectrum of things, and for the the ones who came before us it was okay i need all of these things to be advanced so what can i table to get at least something through and unfortunately gay rights activism was the thing that got tabled yes and honestly i mean considering the time like i get it I get it. I get why the gay rights issue was the thing that was tabled. Because in the grand scheme of things, it was probably not the biggest fish to fry. But, By far. But there's... And here's this thing where I talk about, like, where my knowledge of history starts ramping up. Um, this is going to start leading into where we start building up to the AIDS epidemic. So again, if you guys have any sensitivity with that this is you know just be aware we're going to start entering into this territory when we get to the 70s um we've seen a lot we start seeing a lot of migration especially from gay men but also you know queer women so queer men and women to the coasts to the big cities because they were the bigger areas they tended to be more progressive you could find your own neighborhood you could build your own community there Whereas, you know, if you're in these small towns, there's nobody really there for you. So we started yeah. having, you know, the great gay migration. And they were going yeah, so to New York. They were going to San Francisco and the Valley era. They were going to Los Angeles. They were going to Chicago, 
to the big cities in Texas, even in Ohio, just if there was a big city, we were starting to move there and build our own communities. And we were starting... Go ahead. Like, like we know that... um, Again, it's like that California is at the center of the universe. But a lot of the reason why so many queer people came here is because, well, Hollywood. Hollywood told you, in maybe not explicit terms, but in terms that you could understand, because they were implied, that this is a safe place for you. Mm -hmm. And so this is the reason why so many queers ended up in Los Angeles or in San Francisco, is that we were told by the media at the time that this is the place where you can be yourself. And people listened, and they followed it. Same with New York. New York was another good example, where mm. it's a New York... It's, uh, like, Bojack Horseman has a joke about this. It's like, the greatest thing about L.A. is how shallow of a town it is. Nobody gives a fuck who you are and who you where you're from. You can just be you. That's it. You are you in Los Angeles. And I feel like New York has that feeling, too. It's that you can leave everything behind and start a new life here. And that is very appealing to a queer youth. And what happened with that great gay migration is we started building thriving, vibrant communities um, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in these towns. I mean, we had our own cultures. We had our own magazines. We had our own newspapers, our concerts, our plays, we built our own queer communities. Um, You know, we don't have them anymore, but at the time there were bathhouses even. Uh, They uh, think of them as clubs that are clothing optional to an extent, (laughs) but they were basically meetup places. I mean, as far as like a thriving vibrant gay culture that was mobilizing, that was getting the vote out, that was looking for starting to push for their own rights. They, We were on the cusp, and this is what is so sad, is we were so close to it being our time. And then... We started seeing little signs going up in pharmacy stores or in little signposts of, oh, hey, so-and-so got sick. This gay men were getting sick. There's these little spots. Watch out for it. And if you know your history, you know what I'm talking about. It's the first little warnings of something's going on. <laughs> People are getting sick. And oh, it's we, just, said, we said we weren't going to get into it in the first podcast, but okay, maybe we should. Well, <laughs> we're getting to the very beginning of it. Um how it started manifesting. And I really want to hit on this. Um, We were so close. Uh, We had our own spaces. We were, we had, we had it. We had everything in reach. And then just overnight, something started creeping in. Yeah. And that's something I feel like a lot of, Maybe I guess younger queer people don't know, but uh, even people our age, it's that we were so damn close. Like, we were so damn close to getting that civil rights movement. The gay liberation movement actually was very damn close to succeeding, and then fucking AIDS happened. Well, and again, those civil, and here's the thing the civil rights leaders that had told us, wait your turn, wait your turn, were actually looking like they were going to make good on their word. And in fact, a lot of them did. Or at least, it depend. Well, it depended on depended. 
depends on who we're talking about. But some of them did make good on it beforehand. Others, uh, even like um, Baynard Rustin, came out of retirement to talk about AIDS. And he was the the uh, activist I mentioned before who worked with um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Is that he he came back out. It's, uh, Josephine Baker, too, actually, now that I think about it. Um, maybe not in AIDS, but she came back out and talked about things after the fact. Like, that was the... That's the thing, is that... The people who, air quotes, owed us a favor actually did pay it forward. The problem was, is that AIDS was such a huge epidemic that it didn't really matter. I mean, that's what happens when, I mean, essentially you're fighting for your life. It sounds so dark to say, but like... Well, I mean, that's the truth. It is. Um, We're, in our second episode, we're really going to talk about the toll that AIDS had on our community, not just in life, but on, you know, how much progress we lost, how many leaders we lost, and we're going to really hit that and how it impacted our culture in the second episode. But I just, I can only imagine when you're living in a community and it looks like everything is going great. You found your people. You feel safe. You can go be with your own. You can be intimate with whoever you want to be intimate because nobody's going to mess with you. you. You're your own community. You have your own media. You have your own news. You have a wide network of friends and... For once in your life, you feel okay and you feel accepted. And like I said, then the signs start going up in the windows. Yeah. Then one of your buddies gets sick. It's not the spots well, that you even think like... it's okay. He's just got a cough. Then three weeks later, he's got a rash. Then and two weeks, weeks later, he's, he's dead. dead. Yeah. And I mean, and this is the reality. It came out of nowhere just when you finally felt safe nobody knew what it was the only people trying to warn each other were everybody in the community at the time they didn't even know it was sexually transmitted and all of a sudden everything you've built over these decades is teetering like a house of cards and that house of cards is about to come crashing down. Yeah. And that was, I don't know, 1981 was the beginning of the epidemic. Um, we mentioned the miniseries When We Rise. Um, when We Rise starts after Stonewall. And it spans from after there through the AIDS epidemic up until when same-sex marriage uh, finally became legal so to speak and they do a very very good job of covering the AIDS epidemic Um, especially really letting you feel that sense of community that they built up for themselves you know letting you see different people see all this network of men and women who were in there and building futures for themselves and who finally felt comfortable in their own skin and it does such a tremendous job of 
that sense of dread of something is happening. And the moment yeah. the coin drops when they realize it's it could be an epidemic, I think for me it was like a punch to the gut. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. And again, well, I just... Also, go ahead. No, well, also, it's that um, a lot of a lot of this, uh, to kind of go back to what I was talking about earlier, with the Hollywood culture of protecting your own, um, a lot of this ended up kind of working against us, eventually, mm-hmm. that we had created this, these very insular communities as, as self-defense. But uh, the problem was is that we we asked for help too late and even when we asked for help it wasn't going to come right and that's really why we didn't ask for help but it, and for this to me it's just I can't imagine what that would have been like I mean as I'm trying to paraphrase it in a way that some of our younger viewers can understand because this did not happen that long ago. And, you know, again, like I said, we're really going to go into the impact that AIDS had and how horrific it was in our second episode. But I just really would like for you all... We're going to talk about rent, so it won't be all dreary. Right. We're also talking about rent, so, you know, no day but today. Uh... But My other I, favorite thing. Yes. <laughs> but I really would like for you guys to try and picture what it would be like. You know, you... It would feel like you found your utopia. And then that sense of safety is gone in a moment because everybody you love and everybody you know is at risk. Or they might already be sick, or you might already be sick. I don't know, I gotta be honest, like, I feel like the queer generation at the moment probably is better primed to understand this than maybe we were at the same age. Well, again, I'm old enough that I remember when, I remember when the AIDS epidemic was still going on. I don't. So that's the thing. Is I, I am actually too young to remember this, which is kind of astounding if you think about it, because I'm 28. You know? Like, I remember most of the 90s, <laughs> and I don't remember this. Yeah, I'm, I'm just old enough that I have very vivid recollections of being a kid, and, you know, this was still the big boogeyman. But... I mean, and you're right, maybe maybe the younger generation can kind of imagine, because, I mean, we have come so far. In such a short period of time, And too. in such a short period of time. So, you know, maybe some of you guys can picture this, of everything that's going right, and boom. You're just watching it all crumble around you. I mean, this is literally what happened for the generations before us. Yeah. And I don't have words for that kind of elation to horror. I guess, you know, I we do kind of have that feeling fear going on right now like 
with our current political situation that I'm going to try and not go into uh, too much. But, you know, like we said at the top of the show, the UN just took you know, a vote kind of on like whether... Yeah. I like the ice cream truck. It's kind of adding some levity to this serious conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to push on here with La Cucaracha <laughs> playing in the background. Um, but, you know, the UN just took a vote on whether you should ban the death penalty for people who are LGBTQ. And our own country voted, no, we shouldn't do it. Our own country. Yeah, well, that's... We've come a long way. But I think if there's a lesson to take from this right now... Is don't get complacent. Yeah, well, that's... I feel like this is a problem I have with fandom. And in fact, I feel like this is the reason why I'm burning out on fandom. Is that in some cases, not always, but sometimes, you guys, I love you, but goddamn, some of the shit you care about just does not fucking matter. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Elizabeth. I mean, I mean, no, I understand. And some of this is just, this again goes back to, you know, I am old enough to have, remember living through this, some of this. Um, you're old enough to know that this is such a big deal we're not young enough to be like oh everything is good right now i mean it could be better but we're in reach of having everything you and i haven't media representation is not media representation is not the beginning and end of the queer rights movement and i kind of resent anybody who implies that it is simply because I feel like it does a disservice to the things that we are talking about today and mm -hmm. about, you know, even just the effort that I put in personally, like, like guys, I gotta be honest. I did not, I did not necessarily want to toe the line and act like the pretty blonde feminine girl all through high school, but you know what? I fucking did it because what I was representing was far more important than myself. And, and while I don't, ex I don't expect everybody to make this kind of compromise. Believe me, I don't. And in fact, I probably should not have made it at the time. But I was young and didn't know better. But you also have to sort of remember that uh, there is a larger purpose to all of this that we do. It isn't just about getting... It isn't just about media representation. This is about who we are as people. And if we lose sight of that, then a lot of our discourse on the topic tends to feel a little bit circular is that we're just talking to ourselves about things that we already know. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't I to feel... say media representation isn't important because it is. No, I mean, it is. Of, I mean, you know, we talk about the site on our site for the fundamentals very frequently. Stories matter constantly because they do matter but the larger the, the larger point is like we can't let this be the beginning and end of it like you can't just care about media you have to care about what it represents if you care mm -hmm. about queer representation you have to care about the queer rights movement because if you don't then what the hell are you doing it can't Why just be the fictional stories you care about. You have to care about our stories, our lived stories, our histories. 
Yes, and you need to be knowledgeable about this because no one is going to teach it to you. And that's the other thing is that a lot of the stuff that I know, like the the book GALA even, I didn't find this book until I took a, funny enough, a California history class. And it was one of the books on the optional reading list for where we had to do a book report. You know, you know, like that shit that you have to do in college. But you had to write a book report on some book. And that was one of the books on the list. And that was how I found this book. But that that's kind of like the larger point is that you have to seek this out. Even someone like me who was, you know, literally up the asshole of the queer rights movement when I was in high school, getting into college, like it starts to fade away because you start to, you start to get used to your position in life. And so it, it wasn't until I had literally had these things sort of shoved at me on a silver platter, so to speak, um, that I did start to learn them, but I'm glad that I did because now it's becoming more and more relevant because I, if you had asked me three or four years ago about whether or not it matters, whether or not young people know about this, I'd say, eh, I don't, it doesn't matter. Like, well, we have what we have now, right? Why would they need to know about what happened before? And now that we're losing ground, I am like desperately backpedaling on this, this, uh, this state of mind because I'm realizing, oh God, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. No, we need to know this because we need to be able to defend ourselves. I think that's the key word there. It's not that we're saying this to be like those cranky fandom aunts or fandom grandmas. I was like, no. these kids don't appreciate. It's not that we're trying to be d- these younglings don't blah, blah, blah. It's because our rights aren't guaranteed. No, nothing is ever handed to you. And knowledge is power. Knowing where we come from, knowing what we fought, knowing what we've survived. You know, our community, the LGBT community, survived an extinction-level event with the AIDS epidemic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just gonna say that right now. We'll, like I said earlier, we'll delve into it in episode two. But we survived an extinction-level event. We did, yeah. And it was during my lifetime. It was during, you know, some of you, it was during your lifetimes. You are probably too young to remember it, but it was still going on when, while you were alive. I think this is our biggest thing. This didn't happen decades and decades ago. It's not old I mean, it history. Did, but it happened within living memory. Yeah. Um... And yeah, it seems like we've made a lot of progress. We have, in a very short amount of time. Even just looking at our media from... I've said what it was like when I was in college trying to find representation. And, you know, the representation I found, we were all psycho. Yeah. And killing ourselves and never getting to be happy. And, you know, you look at what we've got now. I know it could be better in some instances, but what we have now is, oh my god, compared to what we had when I was younger. Yeah, and we're not saying that you should be grateful for what you have. I mean, maybe a little bit, but, you know, just to humor us old-timers. But the problem, (laughs) what we're trying to say is you can appreciate what you've got right now, but don't let your guard down. Exactly. Know your past know where we came from and what we fought to do to get here. 
Yes, and you need to know about these things, like the the decency clauses of Hollywood about how uh, you you would basically be blacklisted if you ever got caught doing anything, you know, questionable. And that was um, having it good. Yeah, that was having it good, assuming you didn't get arrested and literally, you know, you know, put for in everybody prison. else in the country. I mean, you're good luck. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, like, you know, we gotta pretend that it isn't detestable that Alan Turing got played by a person who wasn't queer. You know, it's cool. Like, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's whatever. <clears throat> we don't like him. We won't speak his name. Every time you no. speak his name, he gets, every time we speak his, his actual name, he gets cast in a role that we better played by yes. literally anyone else. He is the real Voldemort. But the we point is. shall not say his name. So one time is, I will make a Harry Potter reference. Yes, and the point is, it's sort of like like that. Uh, even on a like, it, well, well, in several other podcasts, but I just generally do like to allude to this a lot. Is that um, the fact that we can be out and proud is actually kind of a novelty, and honestly, we shouldn't take it for granted, because within my living memory, within my memory of even just a decade ago, that wasn't always the case. Oh, good lord, no! Especially with mine and where I came from. So, yeah, and I'm from the Bay Area, so that should really yeah. tell you something. If me, the person who grew up in what is supposed to be the ge- the the mecca of gay rights, can tell you, eh, it hasn't always been all so great. Um, well, <laughs> that should tell you something. Yeah. So, I know this kind of became a downer hour, and shock, <laughs> surprise, episode two is going to be more of the downer hour. Um, yeah, yeah, we are going to talk you know, about rant and lead out of it, but... Uh, we really want to devote more time to talking about what went on during the 80s through essentially the mid to late 90s with the AIDS epidemic and, you know, how we came out of that and, you know, what we lost from that. And I think it's it's a very hard thing to try and comprehend the enormity of loss from our community. So we're going to try and wrap our heads around that next episode. Yes. It's something that's especially hard to grasp for somebody who didn't live through it. Because even for someone like me, who's barely old enough to remember Matthew Shepard, like, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, we need to know this. We need to know about this. We need to educate ourselves about it. And, like, yeah, obviously this is going to be sort of a downer two episodes. But, you know, like, I hope that a few of you, I hope some of you in the comments, uh, go out and buy this book or go and find it on reserve at your university. It probably is on reserve, honestly. It's a pretty famous book. And go read it because you need to know this. You need to know your own history. You need to know where you come from to know where you're going. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there's we'll have some other links down there as well. Um, we'll have even more in the next episode, but you know, <laughs> go browse them. If you want to learn more about your history, do it. Because yeah. nobody else is There's nothing do stopping it for you. you. No, and no one is going to teach it to you. Even college courses, even queer theory studies, and like all of that, that's not going to teach you your own history. You need to find it yourself. Exactly. Obviously, we're going to help you, but like we're, we're, we're going to give that you, we point you in the right some direction. pointers. <laughs> Like, go learn your own history. You need to know this. Exactly. 
you'd be laughed out of a room for not knowing. If if you went to a, a symposium on American history and you didn't know about American history, you'd be laughed out of the room. And we need to start treating queer history the same way because we need we need everybody to sort of be on a certain level of you know, like we all need to be together on this. We all need to have a certain level of knowledge about queer history to even have a real conversation about it. And Much we are less at a, stand our ground. Yes, and we are at a unique point in history in which we are allowed to do that, in which it's so easy to do that with the internet that we have so much access to information. Please educate yourselves. It's your responsibility you have to yourself to do so. Um, with that said, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this episode. Um, we really, really hope that you'll tune in for episode two, um, even though it's going to be not the most fun topic. Nope. But, but we were we, leading up to something exciting. Yeah. Um, Not good exciting, but like, we care about this. You should too. Yes. So we hope <laughs> we'll see you next time. Um, like, subscribe, rate us on iTunes. Um, we'd love to hear your comments. And, you know, also yes, check please. out check out our other podcasts too. Uh, the Fandom Lens Lists, Unabashed Book Snobbery, and then um, Beyond the Screen of the Ultra Critics while you wait for our next episode. <laughs> yes, please. So, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, thank you for caring. Yes, thank you for caring. And we'll see, see you next time. We'll see you next time.